Lights, please. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. I may digress for a moment from my prepared message. I mean it when I say to you, you guys, sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. You're supposed to be good. I'm in my office every day and somebody comes in and they're like, hey, whoops. I'm like, don't. Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst. I took a vow to not say who was the worst, but it's Dan. You guys are making me look bad in front of God. What's that? Oh, look, it's Jesus. And he said, stop it. The word of the Lord. Stop it. Stop it! The, funny, the funniest thing about that is that I showed pastor friends of mine that. I said, you guys have to see this. This is, this is just much too, uh, too perfect. And they watch it, and, and they sort of laugh, just like you guys did. And the, the funny thing is, is every, every day that I get up here and I have the opportunity to be able to come and, and before you, I, I mean, I love my church. I love what I get to do. I love the fact that I get to lead people to Jesus. I love the fact that I get to lead people closer to him. That's the job that I've been called to do that God has given me, and I get to do it full time, and it's, it's awesome. But there's moments in my day that I just, stop it, you know? I, ooh, I just want you to get it. I, that's what every pastor wants when we get up. You know, there's way too many times that in our lives that, that, that we walk out of church and we go, well, that was nice, and, that, and that's it. I, we want life change. We want to see people's lives changed for his glory. And, and like we're talking about, in, in a few weeks, on uh, January 2nd and 3rd, which is what? Four weeks from today, as crazy as that is. 2016 is only that far away. And, and on January 2nd and 3rd, we're going to... We're going to celebrate our 300th weekend as a church. We've been around for 300. Yeah, I know. I'm excited about it. I don't know about you guys. And in those 300 weekends, we've seen over 100 people get baptized and follow Christ. And in those 300 weekends, we've seen over 40 people get saved and meet Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And we're going to celebrate that. But you know what's even better for me is the weekends that's going to follow. January 9th and 10th. 
It's our 301st weekend, and we're going to celebrate what God's going to do in the next 300. And we're going to refocus, and we're going to come back around why we started as a church to begin with. You know, as we're singing the song, glory to God, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. I've told you this before, but I can remember the first time I heard that song. I was standing in Mariner's Church in Irvine, California in April of 2009. And you're like, how do you know that? I was at a conference called Catalyst West Coast. And I, excuse me, I'm getting a little, little excited here. As I was standing in that conference, I went to that conference because I didn't know what I was supposed to do next. I was a youth pastor over at First Baptist of Rio Rancho. Pastor Sai had encouraged me to go get my master's degree and said, you need to be a senior pastor. You need to get a degree. You need to go do this. All that stuff was done. I'd gone and applied for jobs all over the United States. Some looked good. Some didn't. Some actually asked me to be there, and I just knew that that wasn't what I was supposed to be doing. And I went to this conference, and I listened to all these speakers talk about what God had done and how he had led them there. And that song came on. That song came on. It was sung by a band named Fee, and they were there, and they were leading worship. And I remember singing the words of that song and just getting goosebumps all over and saying, God, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. And I meant it because I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I said, God, take it and go. And you know what he said? Stay in Rio Rancho. And I'm like, are you sure? And he says, stay in Rio Rancho, and I want you to plant a church, and I want you to plant a church that all are welcome at. I want you to reach out to the people, and you'll see inside your bullet, we have a welcome thing that's on a, a kind of a light blue piece of paper there, and you'll see, we, we wrote it out this week, all the people that are welcome here. It doesn't matter who you are. It matters where you are. If you are far from God, if you are close to God, that's what matters. And we want the people who are far from God to be closer. We want the people who are close to God to be closer. That's what we're doing. That's why we exist. We want to reach out to the community. We don't, as Jerome said, want to be just a holy huddle. We want to go out from these walls. We want this to be the the battle center where we come together just like you would in, in a real war. You go to the command center, you get your orders, and you go and you fight. And that's what we're doing. And that's what we're going to do on that 301st weekend. We're going to talk about relaunching. We're going to talk about coming back and refocusing because we talked about it last week. Vision leaks for 300 Sundays, for 300 Saturday nights. Vision has leaked. And sometimes we forget why we're here and we just do church. I don't want to do just church. You don't tithe to just do church. You don't give your time and effort back in the nursery and the preschool and helping clean up the building and being part of Connection. You don't just do that to do church. We do it to make a difference, to go change the world. And that is what I'm excited about. And, and we want people to get it. And sometimes there's days that I just want to do that. I just want to say, just get it. It's not that hard. Stop. <laughs> stop it. I mean, that's perfect. Jesus said, stop it. And then he also said, Go. And that's what we need to do. And if you're with us, great time to do all this is right here around the Advent. As we walk through the Advent, we're doing this thing called the Advent Conspiracy. Last week we talked about worshiping fully, about changing our perspective, about refocusing on what Christmas is really all about. Because once again, as we said, vision leaks. We know the right answer, that Jesus is the reason for the season. But we don't live it out. We don't live it out because when we say Jesus is the reason for the season and that we fight and we push and all we want is more stuff and we're asking for stuff, we have to impress people by giving them stuff, we've lost it because Jesus isn't the reason for the season anymore. Stuff is. 
And what we're doing in all this as we say worship fully, as we walk into it, we're taking steps in Advent leading up to our Christmas Day celebration where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. We're talking about worshiping fully. Today we're talking about spending less. And I know you're like, oh, good, church, money, two things I love to hear. Then next week's give more, even better. I know, now you're really excited about coming back. The thing is, it's not just about money. It's not just about these little things. The last week we'll be talking about is love all. And what we need to do is what Hebrews chapter 13 tells us to do. That's to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because if we fix our eyes on Jesus and we're focused on him and we refocus on that, guess what? Everything else becomes blurry. Everything else becomes a, a non-essential. And Jesus is the only essential. And that is what we're trying to walk through. And really, in all honesty, when you leave here today, that is what I want you to get. That Jesus is the only essential thing. God is enough. As we talked about worshiping fully last week, a question came to my mind. Do Christians worship the Lord our God fully and make him the Lord of their life? Now they'll say it. We can call Jesus Lord. That We do that, don't we? We call Jesus Lord. But what does it mean to call Jesus Lord? We've talked about this, excuse me, we've talked about this before. The word Lord is actually a Hebrew word, Adonai. In Adonai, it actually means master or authority. When we call Jesus Lord, we're calling him our master or our authority as if we're the slaves, as if we're the hired hands, as if we're the ones who are not in charge, and he is. My question is, do we do that? We have it with lip service to him, but does our lives represent it? Just like lip service says that Jesus is the reason for the season, but our lives, do they represent it? That is what we need to get. Because a lot of times I believe that, that Christianity, American Christianity specifically, says one thing, but really worships another. And it, it's that religion of consumerism. The religion of consumerism, it's leaked into the church. It is fully available within churches. It's how some churches pull people from other churches by pandering to the idea of consumerism about what you need, what you must have to be able to effectively worship God. And we see these things play themselves out, and it's outside the church, it's inside the church, and it's really because we all like stuff. Let's just be honest. I like stuff. I think stuff is great. Your stuff that you like is probably different than the stuff that I like. But we all like stuff. And in that stuff, that stuff has this tendency to weasel its way in to where God's supposed to be at. And we start worshiping that stuff or worshiping the need for more stuff. And instead of lifting up a cross, we're lifting up a dollar sign. And we're changing kind of the way that we go. And we talked last week what we have to do to refocus on Christmas and refocus and take Christmas back and say Christmas still can change the world is we have to worship fully. Because that's what it's all about, is worshiping God, the fact that he sent his son, the ultimate gift for our lives. This week, we're going to talk about spending less. And it's not as much about money as you might think, because we need to focus and refocus on what we spend our time on. We need to focus and refocus on what we spend our energy on. We need to focus and refocus what we spend our effort on, and then also our money. See, one way, if you came in today and you wanted to walk out later, you could say this. You could say, well, Matt talked about spending less, so I'm going to go tell my family that it's Matt's fault. 
that we, you are, you're only going to get cheap chintzy gifts, and they're going to be wrapped in newspaper. So, sorry, blame Matt. And everybody's going to be really, I'm going to get lots of hate mail. It'll be really good. So if that's what you have to do, that's fine. But that's not what I want you to walk out of here with. What I want you to walk out of here this is this. Our desire to worship the Lord fully should also make us desire how we spend in order to give more. If we spend less, we're able to give more. It, it kind of just comes into that. And it's, a, it's an idea that, that should play itself out at Christmas time. The funny thing is, I didn't know that Tuesday was Giving Tuesday. Did anybody know that this week? I'm a part of a bunch of different emails uh, that come from organizations, from uh, adoption stuff to orphanage stuff to charities and different things. And I got all these emails that came into my inbox on Tuesday talking about hashtag Giving Tuesday. And I'm like, what is Giving Tuesday? So I looked it up, and apparently... Tuesday, after Thanksgiving, after Black Friday, after Super Saturday, and after Cyber Monday, is the day that you're supposed to give back instead of get and go buy stuff. So whatever you have left, if you have anything left, you're supposed to give. And I said, isn't that just a little bit backwards? Should it maybe be the Tuesday before Thanksgiving? Maybe the day of Thanksgiving as we say, I'm thankful, so I'm going to give. You know, maybe that's just it. But the religion of consumerism, it gets in the way. It gets in the way of us worshiping. It gets in the way of doing things. Ads scream out our names. They scream them out. We have to have stuff for our kids. I've talked to people before who watch a lot of Netflix where there's not commercials, and then their kids go and watch something at Grandma and Grandpa's house or something like that, and they're watching Disney, and in between the Disney have all these I want ads, and the kids come back going, hey, you know what? I really want that. I really... How did you even hear about it? Well, I was over at Grandma and Grandpa's. And the ads scream it out and say, get this for your kids. Get this for, for myself. Get this for my friends. We have to have it. We have to buy it. And that even includes our pets. Do you realize how much money was spent in America on pets last year? You ready for this? $42 billion. That's billion with a B. $42 billion. I love my dogs, Okay. $42 billion, though. Come on now. Really? Did you know that Americans between Thanksgiving and Christmas, the 30, 28, 30 days last year, you know how much money they spent last year? $608 billion in the span of 30 days. Anybody else's mind is slightly blown and all that? That's a lot of money. And do you realize that this year they say that spending is up 16%? I don't know what 16% of $608 billion is, but that's a lot. I think about that, and I think about all the money that goes out there, and the thing is, is that at the very end, what's it for? If I said, do me a favor and write down the 10 best gifts you've ever gotten for Christmas, that's going to be difficult. But last year, think of just one, one amazing thing that you got for Christmas last year. Why do we spend all of that money? Why do people stress about the gifts you have to get for somebody else? And when you forget or when you get to the point where you just don't know, what are you going to get them? A gift card, right? A $50 gift card to some place because you don't know what to get them, but you have to get them something so they can go get their own thing. Do you realize of that $608 billion that was spent last year on gifts, $100 billion of it was spent on gift cards? That's a whole lot of exchange of here's $50 for you, here's $50 for you. Thanks. I got you something, you got me something, we're all equal, good to go until next year. You know, that, that's, the, that's the mentality we have a tendency to walk in with. Do you realize that $7 billion of those gift cards are never redeemed? $7 billion in gift cards are never redeemed, never used. 
we look at this and we say, why do we do it? And even when we look at this term spend less, maybe instead of saying spend less, maybe we should just waste less. Maybe we should stop just giving to give and put some meaning behind what we're doing and why we do it. It's not just about pinching pennies and upsetting everybody. It's about having some meaning behind it. It's about taking that money and putting it towards something meaningful. And we're going to talk about those things throughout the morning. But one thing that I saw, do you realize how many people die every week of poor drinking water conditions? 30,000 people die every week because of poor drinking water in communities all around the world. 27,000 of those are under the age of five. Every week. It's not the big news story. It's not, it's not, you know, anything huge, except it's way bigger than anything we could ever imagine. 27,000 people. Do you know how much it would cost to fix all drinking water problems across the entire world? To have sustainable, clean drinking water for every person on this planet? $12 billion. Now that sounds like a lot. But when you put it towards the $42 billion that we put towards our pets, not nearly as much. How about Hunger. Hunger is another issue that is worldwide. Do you realize that $30 billion would solve the hunger crisis in the world? So between water and food, that's how much we spend on our pets, and we could solve all the world's problems. Yeah, we waste a lot. We need to refocus on our energy. We need to refocus on our time. We need to refocus on our money. And the reason is, is, is we, we miss it. You guys. I mean, did you hear those numbers? When we walk out of here today, nobody's going to go sit down at their restaurant and go, yeah, 30,000 people are dying this week. Hey, how about that food anyway? You know, can you pour me another iced tea? You know, that kind of mentality. We don't walk into it with that. But what if we threw this vision aside of, of ourselves and started to focus on Jesus and what he would do and how he would respond. See, because here's the deal. At the very heart of consumerism, the very heart of me, is dissatisfaction and discontentment. I'm not happy with what I have. And, and God has put this God-shaped hole inside of me that, that says, I want to sing out, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory and fill that hole. But instead, I take all these little G gods and I try and take stuff and I try and take actions and I even try and take family and friends and things that are good, but they're not as good as God. And we try and put them in his place. We try and fill that hole. If you want to tune me out from here on out, let me give you the sermon in a nutshell. And then you can go play on your phones. All right, here it is. If we want Christmas season, this Christmas season to be different, we must learn the secret of being content. Because like I said, at the very heart of consumerism is discontentment. We stand right smack in the middle of a consumeristic culture. We make up the consumeristic culture. But the words from Jesus from Luke should really cause us to stop and think. Luke chapter 12 verse 15 says this. And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetedness, which is greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Guys, I got to go to three funerals this week. And another guy passed away this week whose funeral was in California. Our drummer, I'm not sure if you guys remember Carlos. He was with us for a long time over at Cleveland. And uh, he, he uh, was diagnosed with cancer not too long ago. Uh, moved to California to be closer to family and passed away on Monday. But, uh, you know, as, as I look at that, 
as I look at his life in itself. He moved closer to family. Why? Because he realized where he spent his time and what he spent it on was much more important with family than anything else. Not at any point in time during the three funerals that I went to did anybody stand up and say, you know what? I'm so grateful for the Christmas gift he gave me last year. It made my life better. At no point in time did he say, you know, he spent all of his time working and doing this and didn't spend any time with us, but I was glad that he did it. Ne- never heard that. It was about the connection that took place. It's about spending less on the meaningless and spending more and giving more on stuff that means. And that's what Jesus is talking about. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Basically, I think what he's reminding us is this. Is if you're not happy without some material thing, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to be happy with it either. Because the material things don't fill in that hole. And despite that, that warning from Jesus that he says, this is it, we have more of a tendency, instead of listening to him, to listen to a guy by the name of John Rockefeller. And you probably know who Rockefeller is. But Rockefeller was asked one time, how much money is enough? And his answer, just a dollar more. Just a dollar. That's our life. We, we just want that dollar more. And you know what? It doesn't matter in the end. Nobody looks at your portfolio at a funeral. Nobody checks to see. As a matter of fact, most people just fight over it. Instead of the time that you could have spent with them, Christmas has become a mess. With it just a few weeks away, I would suggest refocusing on what it really is all about. What really is the time to spend with people. I'm not sure if you found these words in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. You've probably read them. You've heard Linus read them on the Charlie Brown Christmas. And he says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. See, Christmas, Christmas is, that's what it's about. Now, it's been bought and it's been sold. It's been commercialized for the last few hundred years. Nativity sets are all over the place. We have nativity sets from from Israel in our house. We have nativity sets from from Ethiopia in our house. We have nativity sets from the willow tree in our house. And all of them sit around our house. And a lot of people collect them and make them something. But you know what that nativity set is telling us? It's telling us the simplicity of Christmas. It's a barn. It's sheep and donkeys and shepherds in a poor couple. The only people that had anything in all of that were the wise men, and they're not even really in the nativity set. They didn't come to her a couple of years. You know, we see these things take place, and we forget that it was so simple, the simplicity of this humble, humble God who put himself in a low place for us. He made himself a baby born to this poor couple to really grow up for 30 years that we only know some little smidges about what's taking place in those 30 years and then he starts investing in people. He didn't have a bed. He wasn't a rock star. He did push away the big crowds. He made them turn away by telling them what he really wanted. He said, I want you guys to get it. And some of them did, so they left. That's what Christmas is about. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, being from heaven, yet for your sake became poor, humbled himself, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, you might hear that from some people say, well, that's what Jesus is saying. You need to go name it and claim it. You need to drive through that neighborhood and pray for that giant house. 
That, that's what you need so you can have it. That, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that I became poor so that you could have an eternal relationship and have all the riches of the, the, the eternal world in your relationship with Jesus Christ, in your relationship with God. That's what it's about. That's what he's laying out. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfies, rests content. When we realize that is the riches that we have, he will not be visited by harm. Isaiah 55, 2, God actually wonders why we don't come to him for contentment, why we go to stuff for contentment, why we go everywhere else. He says, why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me. Pay attention to God. Have a relationship with God and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. If we want this Christmas season to be different, we have to learn to be content. We have to learn to be that way. Now, you might say, well, how do we do that? Well, 1 Timothy 6, if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 has kind of a step-by-step progression of, of how to grow and what contentment's characteristics look like in our lives, what it looks like, and how it continues to grow within our lives. So 1 Timothy chapter 6, I would love for you to open up to. If you don't have it, uh, pull out your, uh, your iPhone or your Android there and click on your Bible app, pull that up, and even if you don't have one of those, we have it here on the screen. And what I'm going to do is I'm really going to read from the very end of this here and verse 2 and pick up and read all the way through 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is what it says. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine who does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. It's amazing how much this sounds like people... In the news media. Just going just to throw that out there. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6 is where we really need to pay attention. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we got to take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we'll be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not just money, the love of money, we have to understand that, is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal to life to which you were called and about which you were made, the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in an unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor set their hopes on the uncertain riches, but on God, who richly provides with us everything that we need to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasures for themselves and a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I'm not sure if you saw the progression there, but let's pray that God speaks to us through this passage. God, thank you so much for who you are. 
and what you do and how you speak to us through your word. Even though it was written so long ago, God, it is still alive and fresh today. Speak to us. Penetrate our hearts. Help us to get it. We pray it in your name. Amen. This progression takes place, and it starts off with having contentment, and that contentment leads to spiritual growth. And that's what it talks about here in verse 6. It says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. We should be content with our God-given circumstances, but not content in where we are spiritually. The problem is we have a tendency to be a flip of that. We are content with where we are spiritually, but we're not content in our circumstances. We need to understand we need to be growing closer to God and not worrying about stuff as much as we do. That spiritual growth will lead us in the next step, and that is to give it all to God. It says in verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Guess what? Everything on this planet that you think you own, you don't. It's all God's. Everything that we have is God's. We need to grasp that. We need to let that soak into our brains. We need to live like that. That even though we say, well, I give 10%, hopefully you do, guess what the other 90%? It's still his. He lets us manage it. He lets us manage our time. He lets us manage our money. He lets us manage our families. He lets us be the stewards, and we're supposed to be good stewards of those things. That's what he's called for us. And that actually leads to the next step, that that spiritual growth leads to giving it all to God. Well, giving it all to God leads us to be thankful for the basics of life. Look what it says in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. When we understand our needs, our basic needs, it changes everything. The funny thing is, is as I'm working through this message yesterday afternoon, I'm sitting in my recliner, and I got hungry. And I thought, you know what? I need to go get something to eat. Supposed to be content with food and clothing because we have it and we'll be good, right? Well, I walk over to the pantry. Maybe you've done this before. And I'm like, huh, plenty of food in there. Nothing I want. Open up the freezer. I don't know, it takes too long. Close the freezer back up. Open up the fridge and I'm going through. We've got a candy basket over here. I walk over to it and I'm looking around. I'm like, I guess I'll eat Fritos. You know, that was... That was the mentality that I had. And then I started, I sat down, and, I'm, and this is literally the place in the message where I'm at. I'm like, oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> just the reality of it all. We're just not content. We're not content. Giving it all to God leads us to be thankful for the basics of life. And being thankful for the basics of our life opens up the, the next part where it says pursue riches. If you pursue riches, you're going to have problems. Because we're going to start pursuing it instead of God. And, and that's what it says in verse 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I don't know how many people that you know have seen this take place in their life. I know too many that have chased after the, the, the ring, the Lord of the Rings. I got to have that. And everything else in their life falls apart but they got to have that ring. Their, their marriages fall apart. Their families fall apart. Their, their finances fall apart because they're, they're making investments without thinking, you know, all those things. It doesn't say that if you are rich, you're in trouble. It says when we pursue more is when the problem comes in. So we need to be content as we give it all to God, as we're thankful, and it leads really to this last characteristic that if we have more, then we really must give more. And I know you're saying, oh, that sounds like a perfect thing for a preacher to say. Listen to what this verse says in verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but instead 
on God, who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so they may take hold of that which is truly life. Because isn't that life? At what point in time in your life did you realize that it was better to give than it was to receive? You always heard it. As a kid, you're like, whatever. But at some point in time, it really switched, and it was true. When you gave a gift and somebody's eyes lit up and they got excited about it, you got excited about it too. When did it switch? Because that's what our life should do. Everything in it, it should switch to say it is so much better to give than it is to receive. The bottom line is, whether you have a bottom line that's big or a bottom line that's small, the bottom line is, is work at wanting what you have, even if you don't have everything you want. Or better put, the key to contentment is not having everything you want, but wanting everything you have. Not not having everything that you want, but wanting everything that you have. Can we say that we do that? Stated very clearly in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. When we look at that verse and we see that, do you understand what we have? If you are sitting in here and you've had the opportunity to hear the gospel and you've accepted that gospel into your life, the good news of Jesus Christ, you have everything that you could possibly need. You have God. God is enough. So what is the secret to this contented life? What, how do we do it? We saw, we saw the progression of what it does and how it looks, but what do we do? How do we make it happen? Well, Paul is an amazing example of it throughout the New Testament. Paul's life, he says in Philippians 4, chapter 11 and 12, he says, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. Well, he learned that. What is it? I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. How many of us can say that? In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. How can Paul write this? How can he say that he has learned this? What was he doing? How was he doing it? How did he learn to become satisfied and content in every situation? How do we do it? And I think it comes down to this. I think he realized that God was in control. I said last week, uh, and I may have said it, I can't remember if I said it Saturday night or Sunday or both, but last week, you know, we flew for 30 hours. I slept for a minuscule portion, maybe 45 minutes, an hour of that. You know why? Because I don't like planes and the thought that I'm not in control of it. I, I wouldn't even know what to do if the plane started to go down, but I tell you what, I'd figure something out quick because I like to be in control. I don't, I don't like letting other people be in control. And the thing about making God the Lord of your life and the thing about worshiping fully and the thing about understanding contentment is that he's fully in control. Every breath I take is given to me by him. I don't get to decide whether I take it or not. It's given to me by him. He is in control. And when we realize that we have Christ and that he is in control, everything else we have leads to that contentment. We are content with that. And wouldn't you say that in our toughest times is when we learn to rely on God the most? Wouldn't you say it's our toughest times that, that we, we come to the place where I realize I'm not? I mean, I can tell you the two times that I was sickest. 
of both the times where really my life just kind of went, yep, I'm not in control, God. This is all yours. This is everything that you have. And the fine thing is we talk about tough times, and we have first world problems. We think those are tough times. Last week when Jerome was sharing about his, uh, his Legos and not being able to open them on the way home, you know, first world problems that we have and just toughness that we have to go through and parents just make us strive for. And we think about those things. But I use that word tough times loosely because we have pretty good here. We have it pretty good here. Do you realize, I'm going to throw out some more stats to you. Do you realize that if you go to globalrichlist.com, and on globalrichlist.com you enter in your annual income, your family's annual income, it will break down what percentage you are in the world of top richest people. That if you make in your household $24,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of all wage earners in the entire world. Do you realize if you make $50,000 a year in your household that you are in the top 1%? Remember when all those people a couple of years ago were crying out, oh, the 99. Guess what? You're in the one, fools. It's the real deal. We, are, we don't even realize it, how well we have it. We will spend more as an average American spends over $700 a year on the Christmas time in those 30 days that we will spend more money than what, see, Three billion, one and a half billion. So four and a half billion people in the world don't make as much as we'll spend on Christmas in one month. See, because three billion people live on two dollars a day. One and a half billion people live on one dollar a day. Which means they make $365 a year, and we spend $714 on average on Christmas. We have it pretty good. And yet we can't be content. And I've told you this before, and maybe you've had the opportunity to go on a mission trip before. I've walked into houses where they are sweeping the dirt floor to get the loose dirt off of the hard dirt so it looks nice. And they let me sit in the one chair that they have. And you know what they're doing the whole time they're doing it? Smiling. They're smiling. Like, how can you smile? You have a dirt floor. That's your bed in that corner. That's the one chair in the place, and the stove's right there. How can you smile? And you walk back to your house, and you're like, man, I thought my house was small, and I can not touch the walls when I do that the reality. We, we get caught up in it. Paul understood what it was like to go through the tough times. He understood what it was, and yet he was still content in all situations. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 13. It says, to the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still, listen to this description. This, this screams out American church, doesn't it? Like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things, the refuse of all things. We are trash, but yet I'm still content. And yet somehow, even as he says those things, he can even go on in 2 Corinthians, the second letter to the same church, 2 Corinthians 6, Behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way that so no one's fault may be found in our ministry, but as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in calamities, in beatings, in imprisonments, in riots, in labors, in sleepless nights, in hunger. Which one of those do you fall in the category of? But yet he was content in all of them. It says, in hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, and genuine love, by truthful speech and power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors, yet we're true. 
as unknown yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. How could he even say that last thing? Because he was content. He knew what he had in God. Contentment does not come out of what we do. It grows out of what we go through. That's how we become content. Paul is a contented Christian. The question is, are we? Is our deepest satisfaction found in Jesus Christ? Or is it found in all of the other things that will fade? I think about all the things that of Christmas past. And for whatever reason, Tickle Me Elmo is the one that comes to mind. I don't know why, but there was this weird craze. And I think it happened like 98. So I apologize for those of you who weren't born yet. But um, Tickle Me Elmo was this craze that people had to fight and people were paying on ebay like hundreds and hundreds of dollars for something that cost twenty dollars at the store and you know what those things are all now anybody still have one sitting on their shelf at home yeah i didn't think so one you got one you got a tickle me all right congratulations so so you've ruined my point um the 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 thing is is most of them are filling landfills now or they're over here at goodwill if you're lucky to find one or, or whatever it might be But those are the things we tried to find contentment because I had to get the perfect Christmas gift. But the perfect Christmas gift came in the form of a a baby. It was God coming down and putting on flesh. That whole idea of incarnation, the incarnation means to be incarnate. If you're into Spanish, you understand carne is meat. He put meat on. That's what Jesus did. He put meat on for us. That is the ultimate Christmas gift. So what can we do? How can we be content? Well, we can look back at the Christmas story. I'm going to give you these real fast. Stop and think about this. Luke chapter 2, verse 19, Mary listened to all of the shepherds. And as she she listened to all the shepherds, she treasured up all these things, it says, and pondered them in her heart. She understood even these, these lowly shepherds were coming and telling her, and she, she understood who Jesus was, and that they were praising, and they understood all the things. The angel had come and talked to them. They understood these, and it was all right there. That was what it was all about. And she pondered those things in her heart. My challenge to you is, during this Christmas season, go and grab your Bible. Look at Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 2. Look at look, Luke chapter 1 and chapter 2. See what it's all about. Don't read through them fast. Don't read through them just so you can open your presents right afterwards. Read through them and see the amazing miracle that really is Christmas that God put on flesh. That's amazing. Second thing you could do is this. Invite Jesus into your impossible situation. These tough times maybe you're going through. What is it that you're worried about today? What is it that you're stressed out about Christmas For whatever reason, they were talking about on the news the other day that stress levels go up during Christmas. Isn't this time supposed to be hope, joy, peace, love? Isn't that the four things that have? Isn't that what this is supposed to be all about? Yet we stress out about Christmas? Invite him into it. Invite him to be a part of it. Understand it. Whether it's finances or parenting problems or problems with your parents, whatever it might be. Any things are out there. Relationships, all kinds of stuff causes this stress. Invite Jesus into that. Because you know what? Christmas is a time for miracles. As a matter of fact, Gabriel is talking to Mary, and in Luke chapter 1, when she's, how can this be? I'm still a virgin. He says, you know what? Nothing's impossible with God. We need to remember that in our lives, too, that nothing is impossible with God. Third thing I challenge you to do is spend less on the meaningless stuff. Instead, use that money on something meaningful. We'll talk more about it next week as we talk about give more. But the idea I would suggest is, is whatever you give, give with the idea the idea and and the meaning behind it, there's going to be some sort of connection that takes place. 
that something good will come out of it. Don't just give a PlayStation 4. Okay, I know that you're probably not thinking of that anyway, but let's say you were. Let's say you're thinking big and grand for your kids. Guess what? If you do, play with them. Use that time to connect with them. If it's something small, do that. Connect, tie strings attached. If you have to get a Starbucks gift card or something like that, make the person take you, and you guys can sit and talk or do a lunch or whatever it might be. Make it a time of connection. Make it something that matters. Like I said, there's not going to be at the end of, of, the end of their life, they're going to say, you know what was great was we didn't spend any time together. No, it's how much time you do spend together. Make it meaningful. Give more presence, and it's not with a T, it's with a C. Give more of yourself. God wants you to give more of yourself. We're going to talk about that more next week. Ask God how he wants you and your family to bless someone else. Maybe it's giving to a less fortunate family. Maybe at the beginning you saw the IMB missionaries, which if you're not part of the Southern Baptist thing, that means International Mission Board. We give to a giant pot, and that giant pot goes out to go to all the missionaries that are out around the world for the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. Maybe you want to do that. There's envelopes in there to be able to do that. Maybe it's giving to our benevolence fund because you don't know a family, but you know that we do. Tell your family and close friends that you don't want a typical Christmas present this year. Now, this would only work if they're planning on getting you a Christmas present, but let's say they were, and they were to ask you, what do you want this Christmas? Maybe make it a family present instead of individual things. Maybe somebody looks at your family. Uh, I, do they know what Aunt Rachel got? Yeah, okay, good. I just wanted to make sure I didn't blow it. My sister decided this year she was going to buy our whole family a zoo pass. So we can go down to the zoo and the biopark and do that. And you know what? That is awesome. Because we don't need another toy. We absolutely do not need any more toys in our house. But that time of going to the zoo and hanging out together and spending any time we want throughout this entire year, that's an awesome gift. Maybe it's an explorer. Maybe it's whatever it might be. Do that instead of something that is, once again, promoting that. And if you really don't need anything, redirect those people. To give towards your favorite ministry. Give towards a charity that does the water. Give towards something along those lines. Use the money and for something that is meaningful instead of meaningless. Don't just waste it. Because when we realize this truth, that the greatest thing about Christmas is knowing the truth of Jesus, it changes everything. The best gift has already been given. If you've never received that gift, I want to challenge you that today is a day to accept it. I'm actually going to sit down here in the front when we're all done. And I'm going to challenge you that if you've never accepted that gift, to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to understand that you are a sinner and that you are unable to have that relationship with God, but Jesus made it possible by coming down here and living and dying for us and raising again, I wouldn't be able to explain that to you. I wouldn't be able to talk to you about it. So I'm going to be sitting down here with that. But here's something else. Maybe you do understand that, but you're just not quite getting it. And I just want to say, you guys, Jesus came and gave all. All you have to do is live for him. He died for you. All you have to do is live for him. That's the challenge. That's what Christmas is about. That's why he came. His gift is not cheap and chintzy. It's a gift of salvation. It's got your name on it. He died for you. That is an amazing thing that I think sometimes we take for granted. Let's pray. And like I said, I'll be down here in the front as we sing this last song. God, thank you. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much for what you do. Thank you so much for the fact that you wanted and desired a relationship with me and everybody in this room and everybody outside of this room. 
So much that you gave your one and only son, that you had him step down from perfection onto this earth to put on flesh, to walk, to live, to experience life just as we've experienced it, to go through all of the hardships, to go through all of the pains, to go through all of the good things, to experience all the emotions so that he could know us and know everything about us. And then at the end, to die on that cross, be buried in a borrowed tomb, and raise again. God, that's what it's all about. Help us to refocus our eyes, our hearts, and our minds on that very fact today. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to sit down here as a throne reaper. As he mentioned earlier about uh, a dear friend, uh, Carlos, who has gone home to be with the Lord. Um, Carlos and I knew each other for about 13 years, and we played in various bands together. And uh, you know, we, we needed another drummer because Frank was working every other week, so we, we just needed somebody to help fill in, too. And, uh, and so I asked him one day if, if he wanted to play, and he said, hey, man, I've been wanting to play give my talents to God for a long time, but you know, in other people's eyes, he was a bit rough around the edges, so he didn't feel like he was church worthy. And, and so, just the invite, he was like, yeah, absolutely, I want to do it. And so the fact that you guys give to Paragon Church so that we can be here uh, for people who are like that, that has lasting value because see him again, just like all the other people that have come to know Jesus through the mission, or through the mission and the work of Paragon Church. So that just puts a face on why we give and why we do and why we're here as a church.